Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. This is episode 42 of the podcast. So glad you could join me for it. Got a lot to get to today. Got a lot of fun to have. Got a great conversation with Sean Richland, ESPN College Hockey Analyst, who you will see in the studio for the Men's Frozen Four, which will be next week. And we've got a lot to talk about coming out of the NCAA Regionals for the Men's Hockey Tournament. Very entertaining couple of days of hockey there and it's always one of my favorite weekends of the year regional weekend um there's always something but I felt that this year was in particular pretty exceptional and I hope that uh you had a chance to take in some of the games we had a lot of great individual performances had a lot of great um you know coaching performances goaltending performances um you know big stars stepping up on the big stage so a lot of things that are worth talking about. We'll get to that with Sean in a little bit. There's a lot of other college hockey news, but I also want to let you know, if you're not a fan of college hockey, don't worry. There's other stuff that we got to talk about too. I've got some NHL draft uh, conversation coming up at the end of the podcast. Also some thoughts, uh, particularly about the CHL Top Prospects game, which I was at last week in Kitchener, Ontario, which as you'll recall, I hastily recorded my NCAA tournament uh, preview because I was running around Kitchener with a trying to get a whole bunch of stuff done and uh, managed to get that through. And if you listened and you used our bracket projection for betting, you probably made a lot of money. Um, I didn't actually bet at all. I don't bet on the things that uh, um, I cover closely, like prospect stuff. (laughs) But if you did, you did all right because the bracket went 11 for 12 um, in those uh, 12 games that uh, that we had. So I don't enjoy tooting my own horn. I am but a, a Midwestern Irish Catholic, and it is not something that I want to do often. But, I mean, 11 for 12, guys. Come on. I mean, got to give yourself a little bit of credit sometimes. 
that is one of the more wildly unpredictable tournaments, but it actually turned out to be a pretty chalky tournament. Um, three of the four number one seeds advancing all the way through. That's Michigan, Minnesota State, Denver, and then the number one seed, wasn't a number one seed, was Minnesota, which actually probably lost its number one seed status uh, in the Big Ten Championship game. So if they can beat Minnesota State and if Michigan can beat Denver, they get a rematch of that Big Ten Championship game. Um, and uh, that could be fun, but I would be happy with any of the matchups that are available to us coming out of this Frozen Four. But as I mentioned, we'll have Sean Richland on here to break it all down. A couple of the other college hockey news and notes, and as I mentioned, we'll talk about NHL draft stuff after the interview with Sean Richland, which will be coming up in just a minute. But some other college hockey news out there. A lot of signings happening now. A lot of uh, unrestricted free agents that are the guys that were never drafted. Um, guys like Brandon Bussey signing with Boston. Um, the Pittsburgh Penguins have been very active. They've signed three college free agents and two CHL free agents. Um, and you know, they had signed Corey Ananofsky, who's one of the top college free agents of this season out of Princeton. They also made a bit of a surprise signing in Ty Glover of Western Michigan, um, who is a big body, very speedy. He's a very interesting signing because I didn't have him on my list. Um, he wasn't on my radar as somebody that was coming out this year, but I think that the Penguins are trying to beat the market on him because he was a guy that certainly if he stuck around probably would have had an even larger market, but at 21 years old, he was able to sign a three-year entry-level contract and get his hockey career started. So it's kind of tough when you look at those opportunities, but Western Michigan, um, sustaining multiple, uh, losses to its, um, to its current roster to pro signings. There was the expected ones of Ronnie Adderd and um, Brandon Bussey, who I just mentioned, Adderd, a, a drafted prospect that signed with Philadelphia. And then uh, Bussey, the goaltender, signing with the Boston Bruins. But Glover was the surprise, and I think that that's one that certainly stings a bit for Western Michigan, which had such a great season. Um, but those are some key signings. There are going to be a lot of a lot more signings coming through as well. Um, we're still waiting on Bobby Trevino. We're still waiting to find out where Ben Myers is going to go. He's still playing, obviously, so that's going to be uh, it's going to be some time there. We're going to find out how many of Michigan's sophomore class and 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 maybe even some of its freshman class that will sign NHL contracts after this season. You know, I've been talking a lot about how I think Luke Hughes is probably coming back. Well. You know, as as we continue to move on in the season, and he continues to exceed expectations, and he continues to do things that I've never really seen a college freshman defenseman do, including Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes, um, it's starting to get a lot harder to beat that drum. So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, but we're gonna get to more of the conversation about early signings, early departures, and some of the other things um, in the interview with Sean, and then a little bit afterwards, and we'll also talk NHL draft. So I want to get to that right away. Talked with Sean Richland for a little under an hour, um, covered a lot of the regional tournament. Uh, you're going to hear a lot about NHL prospects. You're going to hear a lot about um, you know, big-time college hockey programs. Uh, you're also going to hear a lot about what to expect going into the Frozen Four, which again is next week in Boston. So um, we'll have a, a, a mini bit, a Frozen Four preview, a little bit more in-depth uh, next week, although it won't be as long. And then... Uh, We'll kind of come back, but we talked about a lot of different players, a lot of coaches and programs here. So I hope that you will enjoy my conversation with Sean Richland. And before we get to that, I just wanted to remind you that you can further support Talking Hockey Sense by subscribing. <laughs> if you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, certainly you can leave a written 
review. That helps a ton. Uh, a five-star rating, if you're ever so kind. Um, we need a few more of those just to kind of move up the charts. And we've had a lot of uh, episodes of growth these last few weeks where we're getting to bigger audiences. So that is a huge thank you to you. Also, if you want to take get that support a step further and help uh, support my work even more by uh, supporting independent media, you go to hockeysense.substack.com. Sign up for a premium subscription to Hockey Sense with Chris Peters on Substack. That is where you will find a weekly newsletter that is chock full of information on college hockey, junior hockey, international hockey, um, you know, what's happening around the country in various facets uh, of the sport. That is where you can find a lot of, um, you know, kind of in the weeds details about the stuff that I talk about on this podcast. And there's also breaking news and other things in there. Um, so plenty to talk about. Um, and that reminds me, one more thing that we will talk about at the end of the podcast is the latest on the World Juniors, which I did cover in last week's newsletter. Uh, but once again, go to hockeysense.substack.com. It's $6 a month or $54 for an annual subscription. You will get weekly newsletters of very, uh, very in-depth. This week's newsletter, as I mentioned, uh, we talk a lot about college signings. We talk about the World Juniors. And there is a 23, there are 23 player reports from the CHL top prospects game. So if you want an in-depth analysis uh, from on-the-scene reporting from me, um, please do go check that out. I really do appreciate everyone that has signed up and supporting independent media. And of course, you can also check out my work at dailyfaceoff.com, which is free. And there is a draft trends piece up this week that you can check out there. All right, we've got Plenty to get to. We'll talk to Sean Richland, then stick around after that. I'll have a few more things to wrap up the podcast, and then we will be out of here. So hopefully this is a, a nice way to kill some time. As you listen to this, uh, the information will be relevant for at least another week. <laughs> so uh, hopefully evergreen there. Uh, no, no real breaking news outside of a, a few minor details. But without further ado, I'm going to send it over to my interview with ESPN College Hockey Analyst, Sean Richland. All right, now very pleased to be joined by a very special guest. Uh, you, if you watched the NCAA regionals, you were listening to the dulcet tones of Sean Richland on ESPN um, yeah. and ES, ESPNU, ESPN2. Uh, he is a former University of Michigan forward. He uh, was drafted by the New Jersey Devils, and he has been on your TV for about 18 years or so covering college hockey in various capacities at various networks, but most familiar to us on ESPN. Sean, welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. So great to have you. Hey, man, it's an honor to be with you. I think everyone <laughs> remembers us from our great interview of the intermission from years ago where we kept popping up over and over again. So here we are again, everybody. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, yeah, this is, this is, yeah, this is what the people were clamoring for. Uh, we had the the Dino Mike guy doing the ads on the ESPNU during this year. He was the version of us because he was on every commercial break. But yes, if you recall a couple of years back, we did an intermission report that was me and Sean analyzing the same players over and over and over again because it was recorded and it was used many, many times. Um, and people, we heard from you. We You did not enjoy that. Uh, but we 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 had fun, though. We had fun. Uh, if, it was, if it was one segment, Chris, it would have been legendary. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was, I mean... Hey, it, it stands the test of time. I appreciate it. it was my my one and only appearance on uh, 
on ESPN's family of networks in my time there. But uh, Sean is on there very often and providing great insight. Um, and, you know, you were in Allentown. We now know the Frozen Four. It's set. You've got Michigan versus Denver. You've got Minnesota versus Minnesota State. You were, you know, you're a Michigan alum, but you also were covering Michigan um, and were able to watch their wins over AIC and Quinnipiac. Quinnipiac. I, I never say it right. Um, and I, I apologize to my good friends in Connecticut for that. But um, so, I mean, you, and, and as a as a local, you've obviously followed that team. Is uh, has this Michigan team lived up to expectation? We're going to start there because now they're in the frozen four. They're on they're on the cusp of, you know, playing for a national championship. Uh, last time they won a national championship, I think you were there. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> so, man, I mean, it, it yeah. seems like it seems like, uh, you know, this is one of the top premier programs and yet no national title since 1998. So, um, you know, I just wonder for, as a, as a, from your perspective as both an alum and an analyst, has that team lived up to the expectations you had coming into the season? Well, it's an interesting season, right? I mean, certainly insane expectations for these kids after they got drafted so high and the team uh, getting everyone to come back. And then you have the world junior situation. You have um, a massive COVID situation throughout the team. Then the NHL doesn't go to the Olympics. So four kids go to the Olympics, four of your top players, your first power play essentially is in Beijing. I'm actually surprised they've done as well as they've done because they haven't played together as a team. And it's tough. Like you saw the Quinnipiac game. You saw the AIC game. These are teams that have been together all year. They play consistent. They don't make a lot of mistakes. They're good uh, structurally. And that's the biggest thing when your team is not together. You, you kind of lose the structure of playing in games. And I don't care how good you are. You can put the best players in the world out together. But if they don't have some sort of structure of playing together, it becomes more and more difficult to be successful. You know, any coach will say that. Uh, not, you know, I've played on great teams before, and they've had the best talent, of, uh, especially the team we had in 97 that didn't win. But it happens from time to time. So have they met expectations? Heck yeah, man, they're in the Frozen Four. Regardless of – it is so hard to get to this tournament. It is really hard – to make that step out of the regionals as a one seed, the number one overall seed to get in because everyone's coming at you. So, so far, I think they've met expectations. Yeah. I mean, the, the single elimination games, you can have those great teams and you can just catch a hot goalie or you could catch the wrong team at the wrong time, or you get an injury at the regional. I mean, there are so many different variables last year. Of course, Michigan gets to the regional, they aren't able to play because they have a, a positive test. They're they're out of the tournament. It's a huge disappointment. I think that that was maybe one of the motivating factors for so many of these guys to come back. But you got Owen Power, Matty Beneers, Kent Johnson, Luke Hughes, who's new. But then you've got all those other guys that were there, Johnny Beecher and, and Eric Portillo having a chance to be the starter this year. Um, the, the guys that you know passed the job coming back, all these different players that had an opportunity um, you know, to either move on or, or move out, uh, decided to stay. And, and I, I think that that's a, that's a very rare thing in today's game, especially when you've got a guy that was picked number one overall. Um, but I do think, and I, and I want to bring it back to Owen Power, because, you know, you, as you've been able to watch him over these last two years, I think 
based on what I've seen over the last couple of weeks, and that includes at the Big Ten Championship, which I was able to see live, you know, I think we're starting to see the best of Owen Power at the collegiate level over the last few games. And he had four assists in the last regional final. He's been a force at both ends of the ice. He's playing tons of minutes. I mean, what are your thoughts as, as, as somebody that's been able to see this guy up close quite a bit? Yeah, man, it's, it's really, you, you try to put yourself in the kid's shoes and it's just impossible. Uh, or I should say skates. You know, <laughs> he, he, uh, he number one pick in the draft. He comes back to school. He's got all his buddies who are also drafted in the top five. Everyone's gunning for him. And he's, he's, he's a big kid. I mean, he's, he's 6'5". He skates like he's 5'10". I said several times on the broadcast, his feet are amazing for how big he is. And I think he, I think he got himself in, in um, a, a little bit. He, he's such an overpowering physical guy that he got himself into some trouble trying to play like he's playing against NHL players or world championship players. Right. And we saw him take some penalties that maybe he didn't want to do. So now I've been critical a little bit of him not playing physical enough. Again, I almost think he needs to be more physical, but if you look at his body of work, the reason he's not being physical is because he was taking penalties. Right. He hit guys and he's just bigger and, and, my, and it's, it's not, it's not that they're bad calls. It just is what it is. Um, so he's had, and it, we see this at the NHL level too, by the way, this isn't just a college thing, but he's got to take away a little bit of his aggression and play a little more contained. And he's starting to figure that out and doing a great job of it. I personally think down low, he can be a little more physical on his own end, but you know, when you knock a guy over, you don't know what they're going to call. I will say this in the Allentown regional, I thought the officiating was as good as I've seen it. Um, the guys play. Phenomenal work uh, by all the officials that were at, at those games. Um, well, I always give them grief. So when they do well, I want, I want, <laughs> yeah, exactly. No. And I think that's true because there were, as you mentioned there, you know, in college hockey, they have the benefit of review. Maybe there's too much review. Um, but we saw at Michigan tech lost Brian Hallen in their Hobie top 10 on, on a call, you know, was it a check from behind? Was it a boarding? You know, it, he ends up a five in a game, four minutes into the game. And, Michigan Tech loses their best player against Minnesota Duluth, one of the best postseason teams in the last decade. Um, and, you know, they end up losing three, nothing. I don't know that Hallinan would have allowed them to win, but you know, those are the types of penalties that do happen in college that you might not see at the next level where it would be a minor or, you know, I, I thought it was a minor for boarding even on review, but, uh, but I agree. I, I thought that the officiating in Allentown was particularly good. And then we got some really great games out of it too. I mean, Michigan made the American international game. They probably got, let it, let it get a little closer than it should have been. Uh, but then, you know, a great game with Quinnipiac and, and St. Cloud state as well, where that's a, a battle. And, and finally Quinnipiac who hadn't allowed three goal, more than three goals all season allows a fourth and they get a five, four win there. And then it sets up this Michigan Quinnipiac regional final that we expected to see. And he's got unique Peretz, best goaltender in the country for, for some, you know, I, I might be a Devin Levi guy. I might be a Dryden McKay guy, but Peretz had a great season. Um, and you wonder how is that, how are those styles going to match up? And what we saw at least through the first 40 minutes was Michigan was dominant. And the thing that stood out most to me, and it's stood out in most games that you watch them play the precision skill plays. I mean, at college, you're always like, it's, it's some, some guys are always just a step off. They're, 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 if they're a second late, 
or they're or 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 the puck bobbles on them and they don't know how to corral it with Michigan, it's almost like you have all of these NHL caliber skilled players who can who can't you can't give them a bad pass. You can't make a bad play. They're always going to convert. And I think that precision of skill is really one of the separating factors for them. I wonder what what your thoughts might be on on something like that. Well, I will tell you, man, I've watched probably as much college hockey as you have. And I don't know, I might be saying, I might be a stretch. I've watched (laughs) a lot of college hockey over my life. And there have been a a few players that have wowed me over the years where you sit back and just say, I pay any amount of money to go watch this person play. And the most recent one that comes to mind is Camel Car. Um, Watching him play and what he was able to do, he made everyone around him better. He was just one of those guys that changed the game. And every you were sitting on the edge of your seat every time you watched him, right? Well, on this roster, you know, Luke Hughes is that kind of guy to me. I can I can watch him skate all day long. It would be any price I would come. And he's developed so much. But one of the things I've been talking a lot about recently is what makes a player good and elevates him to great is how they handle pressure situations or a bad pass or containment on the blue line or uh, a forward coming at them difficult. How do they, how do they navigate that situation? And I'm blown away with the confidence and the patience that these young men have with the puck. I, I still don't know how they do it. I'd be firing it off the glass in the zone and changing, but the, their patience on the blue line and how they see the ice and how they make passes. I mean, that Brisson pass, to Bordalo against Quinnipiac on the power play goal was a perfect example. Everyone knows Brisson's got a heavy shot, maybe one of the best shots in the country, if not the best shot in the country. And he is able to distribute the puck to Bordalo in the slot. And he just lets it rip like that, like it was nothing. And, and Bordalo going into that game, I think he had 10 goals on the year and he looked like a 25 goal scorer. Yeah. So, you know, there's depth there. And you talked about the Michigan Tech Hobie candidate excuse me, getting, getting uh, thrown out of the game. If Matthew Berniers gets thrown out of the game against Quinnipiac, now he's a great player. I don't think it changes the game at all. Right. They are so deep. It is scary. They're fighting for ice. And the hardest decision the coaches have is putting a lineup card together. Right. Cause they even have guys that are going to, that, you know, legit high end college hockey players that they can't find spot for is in the lineup. You know, they're, they're guys that, that have been there and, it's the way it goes. And, and really, you know, as you mentioned, Luke Hughes, I, I think all of those guys that went to the Olympics, you needed somebody to step up. Luke Hughes, I think that was his shining moment this season where he was able to say, I have the ability to put this team uh, on my back if I need to. I have the ability to make the plays that you would expect an Owen Power or a Matty Beneers to make. You know, I, I can do that too. And um, it's been really remarkable to see. And, and really, you know, we've talked about them all year. I think that, that we've never had a situation like this where there have been that many high-end players that had been drafted already. There have been times where there have been good teams that have had, you know, North Dakota has had some teams with some legitimate, you know, NHL all-star teams, um, it seemed like. But this year where everybody was drafted and decided to come back, I mean, it's just, it's been, it's been remarkable to watch. And, you know, I guess the only other thing now is, is, you know, they had two games in the regional where they didn't necessarily close um, the way you'd expect them to American international gets back into the game. They end up winning five, three. Um, we saw the, the, the real push from Quinnipiac until they pull their goaltender and then they give up that goal that makes it five or, uh, yeah, uh, five, three at that point. And 
you know, that, that game was right there uh, for the Bobcats. It seemed like, so uh, is that something that you, is it a lack of focus or is it just maybe that the desperation of the other team setting in where, Hey, our season's going to end and we're going to, we got to make a push here. Yeah, Quint, by the way, Quinnipiac's a great team. Awesome team. They were awesome. Coached by just an incredible man. I mean, what, what he's done, uh, we had a lot, a lot of time to speak with Rand over the, over the uh, weekend, and the guy's incredible what he's done for this program. I mean, when they went D1, they could have gone and got any coach, right? Yeah. It's a great location outside New York City, uh, Quinnipiac, not too far from a lot, Boston, New England. And they could have got anybody. But they, they stuck with him, and he's built this program uh, from scratch. So I have a lot of respect for him and what he's been able to do and how he plays. And the, the, I think the kids had a, a big push, and they, they smelled blood, and they're ready to go. Look, Bon Giovanni, Brindamore, DeYoung, Lombardi, Chow. I mean, they are loaded up front. Big physical players that can skate. Um, and TJ Friedman, who I think is one of these senior leader kids that just plays with energy. I, I was really impressed. With, with their push that they had. Uh, and, I, and, you know, is there a little bit of lack of interest when you're up for nothing? Yeah, there is. There's no doubt about it. It happens in a locker room. Uh, you go in between the second and third. Are you looking ahead? The only Michigan player that's played in the NCAA tournament is Michael Pasha. <laughs> I mean, how many teams have had come to the tournament and made it to the Frozen Four that only had one player who played in the tournament before? I mean, it just doesn't happen that often. So they don't have a ton of experience back there. Now they've got some games under their belt where they've seen the desperation that people can bring. And I, I would imagine that Billy and Mel and, uh, uh, and uh, Brendan Arado are, are going to be looking at tape and figuring out how they can get better down low when they're up for nothing. Yeah, I mean, exactly. That problem, yeah, know? I know that's, it, it, it's a good, yeah, at least, at least you're in that situation where you're, you're up and now it's just a matter of, I, I don't think you have, you shouldn't have to do a whole lot of convincing when you're, it's this stage of the season, especially because, uh, you know, we'll, we'll move to the opponent. We're going to, we're going to circle back to Michigan, but I wanted to, to get to some of the other teams because this matchup between Michigan and Denver is in, it's fascinating. These are two of the most skilled teams in the country Denver is one of the highest scoring teams in the country. Quinnipiac was one of the highest scoring teams in the country that Michigan just saw, um, you know, in terms of goals per game and, and, and the way that they play. But Denver yeah. has been doing it against the NCHC. They've been doing it against non-conference opponents. They are, uh, they have experience. They have good goaltending. They have very mobile defense. You know, Michigan is certainly the deeper team, but this is a, a, a Denver squad that, I mean, this is a, we had, we had Minnesota, UMass in the first round of this year's tournament. And I feel like this is like that next step of here's here are two of the very best that college hockey has to offer to the most skilled teams. And I, I mean, I'm, I think that that both, both games in, at the frozen four are going to be really good. This one, it has a chance to be explosively good uh, with the, with how good these two teams are. Yeah, they are. I mean, look all year long, Denver and Carl have had that team going, um, Several people have suggested they thought they were the best team in the country for the majority of the year. Um, they, the, the benefit that Denver has that not a lot of people are talking about is they've had their team pretty much together all year. They haven't had this huge separation of guys leaving, guys coming back, guys leaving, guys coming back. So but ha they have a lot of continuity and they play that way. You know, that game against Duluth, um, I felt like they, they, they played significantly better than they did in the first game. Yes. Um, and in, in the, 
you know, Duluth did not have much of an offensive push. And I don't know if that's more Duluth or Denver or, or what, because it just seemed like they didn't have much going. But to me, the stick to get that goal, that was a funky bounce, that Savoy, who's your leading goal scorer, buries it. You know, that's, that's a sign of a winning team. Uh, they, they found a way to win a really tough game against a goalie who it seemed like nobody was ever going to score against. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Fan, Ryan Fancy, who just signed uh, with the Edmonton Oilers as well. And I mean, he was legit. And, you know, and I had just watched those two teams, Denver and Minnesota Duluth, play against each other at the NCHC Frozen Faceoff. And Denver didn't have an answer for Duluth in that game. And Fante wasn't going to allow a goal in that game. He didn't allow a goal in either of the two games there. Um, Denver also has, you know, arguably one of the best, if not, you know, certainly the highest scoring top line in the country with Bobby yeah. Brank, the, the nation's leading scorer, Cole Gutman, and, and Carter Savoy, who scored two huge goals um, in this, in, in the, in the regional for his team um, because Denver had a tough road. And I think that's another thing. Denver is coming into this game, very battle tested, but it's that top line that can really carry them. And if you're not careful, uh, they're very opportunistic. They can, they can get behind you and they can score. They can, they can definitely score. They're a little, uh, like if you were going to say what's a criticism of their team, you know, I, I always try to, it's hard to criticize a top four team in the country, but <laughs> yeah play the game so at michigan they're down low game not great clearly exposed they can be beat on the wall to me with denver if their forwards are undersized and when you play against a six foot five defenseman and a six foot three defenseman and guys you can skate as well as your forwards what what happens here this is going to be the best part of the game i think as a fan watching and i'll be in studio in bristol which I would much rather be in Boston in the studio watching the game, but yeah. that's a whole other thing. Um, <laughs> the, uh, but to me, like that, that's fascinating to me because that is truly the, the crux of this game, in my opinion, is you've got great, great skaters, good hands. They're, they have incredible stick to itiveness. Their, their forecheck is, is hard and, and they come at you. But how, how's that going to play out? I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to it. But that's yeah, just an interesting observation. It, it is an it is an interesting observation. And really, if you look at the at the average heights and weights of of Denver, you know they're 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 the second smallest team in the country, you know based on heights and weights. You know, it's 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 it is it is something that you know that is is prominent. And you think about you know Bobby Brink is kind of the the poster child for it because he's you know under five ten about and he is you know he, he's a little bit lighter and he's not the best skater. But gosh, is the hockey sense on that kid. Uh, the, the competitive, he's one of those guys where down low, I feel like he can make a difference still. Uh, he's got a good lower body strength. You know, he's kind of a bit of a, a, a bulldog, but yeah, but if you have that throughout your lineup, you know, that's not the, that's not Carter Savoy's game. That's not as much Cole Gutman's game. You know, you need some of those guys that kind of be the, those secondary players that can, can find a way. But, you know, I, I think that those two teams together are going to provide a lot of intrigue. They're going to get a lot of scoring chances. I think that they'll be the, what we would, hope the best of college hockey can be. And I, I mean, I picked Michigan in the game before the, you know, as I was picking my bracket, you know, I, I just feel like that the depth is going to end up winning out because I feel like we've seen depth really show up in this tournament and it, and it showed up for Michigan. It has showed up for Denver as well. Um, but, and, and certainly for Minnesota and certainly for uh, Minnesota state where that, that is a team that has to win as a team. 
Um, so this, that, that's what I think this is going to get really fun uh, because you've got that skill level and then you also have the, the depth of these teams. I do think that Michigan's decor at one to, you know, one to six is, is probably the, you know, well, it's not probably, it just is better. Um, and I think the way that Owen Power and Luke Hughes have played down the stretch and it's been some of the most dominant play at both ends by two defensemen that I can think of since McCarr and Ferraro at UMass. I mean, really those yeah. two guys were just out of this world um, and almost got their team to a national championship. Of course, UMass had to go ahead and win it when those guys, when those guys left, but uh, that's I don't, think, I don't think the world knew Ferraro was as good as he is though. I think uh, that that's was- true. You know, it, it, the world didn't, I know that the hockey East coaches did cause I was, I was in <laughs> Providence and, and they said, they said, First of all, I, I was I was at Providence. I was talking to one of their assistant coaches. He's like, I don't think these guys belong in our league right now. Like they're just they're too they're too good. He's like, I'm telling you, he's like Makar is definitely the best player, but he's like, do not do not make a mistake on on Ferraro. He is he is such an important player. And guys like that, you guys like Mario Ferraro, uh, that that are heavy and can play offensively and can skate, and you know those those guys are the guys that you win with. And I think all all these teams have some variant of that, of that player um, here, like Minnesota has Brock Faber uh, and, and all these other guys that, I mean, we're, we're, you said Michigan 60. I think Minnesota 60 are the best six in the country. That, that now that's, I think if you're looking at, yeah, I'd say. You can throw them out there. They're awesome. Definitely. I, I agree. I think, I think between Denver and Michigan, then I would take Michigan's decor. But if you put it up Michigan to Minnesota and we'll move to the Gophers now too, is uh, definitely, I mean, you've got Lacombe who can move the puck as well as anybody in the country and can skate like the one you got Ryan he's Johnson. Under, he's underrated, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Ryan Johnson, Ben Brinkman, who hits everything that moves, Um, you know, and then yeah. you've got, you've got Mikey Kester who is kind of down their lineup, but a very mobile dynamic defenseman. So I I agree. I think that that's the strength of that team and a huge reason, but um, you know, Bob Motzko said the other day, and as as we talk about Minnesota and I'll get, come back to Brock Faber, Bob Motzko said on his radio show um, based on their tracking, Brock Faber played 41 minutes of the game against UMass, 41 minutes in a 68 minute game because it went to overtime, 41 minutes for Brock Faber. Now, Sean, you ever you ever play uh, forty minutes in a game in in your college career? You ever? <laughs> I think there could be a hundred and eighty minute game. I'm not sure. How to play 40 <laughs> I mean, I so I so that, few, we played against BC in the finals. Uh, there were some guys that had a lot of minutes, but not 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 that not that kind of. That's two thirds of the game. It's yeah, it, it's unbelievable. And and the other thing well, is is that he didn't thing to think about Chris. Sorry to interrupt. No, you. go go right ahead. Is in the Big Ten, there's only one timeout. It's at the 10 minute mark in the tournament. There's three and our, the timeout in the big 10 is only a minute, I think. And right, in the yeah. tournament, there's three timeouts and they're two minutes each. So that allows Brock guy like Brock favor to play a lot more and get more rest and ready to go. He's, yeah. he, he is an unbelievable athlete and a better kid. He is just the, he, he's everything you want to see in a college athlete. Could, yeah. I can't it, about him. It, it, he's incredible. And then really just, you know, I completely underrated him in his draft year. He was kind of in Jake Sanderson's shadow with that national team development program team. And 
I just, I, I missed it. I missed it. And, and the coaches there knew I missed it too. Cause I've heard it from them. It's just like, no, this, this kid is every, every bit um, in that category of, of top tier defenseman. He ends up going in the second round and Los Angeles now has a guy that's going to, you know, find a way in their lineup. And then he was the number one defenseman at the Olympics in terms of minutes played. Um, but then you, you know, you deal with him and then you still have Ryan Johnson and Jackson Lacombe playing, you know, if, when Brock Faber is not out there, those two guys are out there, you know, how, how do you, how do you contend with that? They're so good. I tell you, Jackson McComb had an assist against Michigan in an overtime game they won, which I was fortunate enough to have the call on. And I still think it may be one of the best plays I've ever seen. I don't even know how he made this pass. The left-handed shot, fakes the shot, kind of almost like a pseudo one-times it to Ben Myers, and Ben Myers buries it in the back of the net. I mean, it was it was incredible. Yeah, he he is he might be one of the best stretch pass defensemen I've ever seen in college hockey. Like just he, he does it so often. He even did that. The first, the very first goal of the big 12, the big 10 championship game was a stretch mass for stretch pass from Lacombe to, uh, to Jackson Nelson. I'm pretty sure. And, and it, oh, through yeah, breakaway, the yeah, 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 through the break. Yeah. And it's just like, come on. I mean, so, so you've got those two guys and that, that mobility helps, but then you've got up front Ben Myers, who, you know, never got drafted. Now he's going to be able to pick 32 teams are going to ask him, you know, offer him a contract. I think, you know, the way that he's played this year. So you've got, you got, you got, you got Ben, you've got Matthew Nyes, and then they moved up Aaron Huglin with that line. And that line has been absolutely dominant. Um, they scored the game winning goal. They were party to, you know, the, 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 the game tying goal against UMass. Oh yeah. That pass was, it was sick. So yeah. Yeah. And, and so those, those two, you know, having that a top line like that, and they have depth, you know, they have other guys that can play. Um, but I, I mean, I think that Minnesota really, the big question that we all had was Justin close. Is he going to be legit a walk on goalie 18 games, 19 games. Now he's played. He's got like a nine twenty nine twenty nine save percent. He's outperformed Jack Lafontaine who signed mid year. Um, I mean, he's authoring a great story, and I, I've mentioned him on the podcast before, but it was kind of reminiscent of, of Sean Hunwick coming in uh, back in the day for Michigan and almost almost got him a national title. It's a great comparison. I mean, when they lost, obviously, in Minnesota Duluth in overtime. Um, that's really interesting. Now, getting to the goal, Justin Close, when that whole thing happened, I mean, I really felt bad for Bob and the team. And, yeah. and, and you know, Bob had a great point that I, I mean, he's been coaching for a long time. He's an incredibly smart guy. Because you almost have to look at this as an injury. We just had an injured player who's done for the year, and we're going to move forward. And this, this kid is ready to go. Now, uh, the game I did, they had just played Alaska Fairbanks twice, and they lost, I think, the second night. And it was a, it was a good game. The Alaska's goalie played great. But close came in. Against Michigan, they came into uh, Mariucci and they won the overtime game, and he played so well. And I thought to myself, maybe this kid's got it. Maybe, maybe he does. And got to remember, a backup goalie at a Division One college is not some kid you took from a beer league to come on your squad and play, right? I mean, this is a kid who was recruited to play, and, and uh, most likely has some sort of money, whether it's a full ride or a half, to come play at a major university. So. He clearly has the ability. Now the question becomes, can he play in pressure situations? Because a lot of kids have the ability, but can they handle the, the heat? And uh, he's proven he can. 
you know, can he carry him to a national title? I don't know. But the only game I thought he did have a great game was was the Big Ten Championship. Right. Right. And that was my first my first live look at him. I, I th- well, actually, no, I think I did see him in uh, in Wisconsin for a brief moment. But yeah, but I mean, he is uh, he, he's come through and he's, he's really stepped up for this team. And, and I, I love Bob said uh, this week, he said, you know, I'm the I'm the idiot that didn't play or he said I was the dummy that, that didn't play him. <laughs> that I didn't give him enough ice time. I didn't, didn't get him find ways to get him in there. And, you know, you, you got to give a lot of credit to Jack LaFontaine who had a great collegiate career. And, um, and then he ends up getting that NHL contract and, and yeah, but now Justin close is, has a chance to author one of the great stories. And obviously Bob, you know, uh, with the year that he has had um, the fact that this team has rallied around him, the fact that so many of those guys came back to play for him. Um, you know, we, we certainly, uh, you know, heavy hearts that I'm sure he coached with this year, losing his son, Mac. Um, But what a, I mean, what a, you know, what a, what a great thing for him to come back to Minnesota after being an assistant there uh, and not taking all that long to really get things pointed North for that, for that uh, program that he cares about so much. Yeah. He's, he's an amazing guy. Fun, fun to be around. And their, their team is poised to, to have a great chance to win this whole thing. I think emotionally the world wants him to win um, based on what he's been through. It's been horrible uh, yeah. for him personally. But as a coach, I'll tell you what, this guy's steely. He doesn't bring it up. He just goes out and talks about his team and and goes and battles. Even though deep down, he's probably thinking about it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been really impressed with how the, how the freshmen have played on that team this year. Big time. Give, credit, give credit to the senior leaders on that team for – bringing these guys along. I mean, they've been really good and it, it's hard as a young forward. So Lucius, unfortunately hurt, but nice, uh, Braz, Huglin, these, these, the, if they all stay, this team is going to be unreal next year too. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think they're going to have a pretty good crew. You know, I, I, I I'm not sure. I'm not a hundred percent positive that Faber is signing yet, you know, so if he comes back, there's your number one defenseman, you, you know, that if, you know, you're going to lose Myers. You're going to lose a couple of guys uh, here and there. Not sure about what's going to happen with Lacombe and Johnson and um, others. But I mean, now you've got that that young group and and a great recruiting class, which includes Logan Cooley, who's going to go in the top five in the draft this year, um, mm-hmm. and, and also a, a number of other players that that are are high end prospects. Ryan Chesley, a, a few others. So you know, Minnesota is definitely loaded now and and set up well for the future, regardless of who comes back. Um, I mean, as you mentioned, Matthew Nyes is really, he was one of the breakout performers of that regional, scored some big goals. He's had a great season. I had a chance, the first time I got to see him was in Plymouth at the, uh, you know, I'd seen him last year in the USHL, but to see, he's a different player this year than he was in the USHL. He went in the second round, wasn't as consistent offensively. And now here he is, he's making the world juniors, the Olympics, and he's an impact player on one of the best teams in the country. And he's also six foot three, about 215 pounds, 220 pounds, impossible to move off the puck. Um, and, you know, I think, I think Toronto wants him as soon as they possibly can have him, but he's a, he's a little busy right now. A little busy. He's got goal scoring instincts. Uh, he does. Which is hard to, hard to, like that pass favor made to him uh, in the game. They won there to get to the frozen four, the first goal of the game where he, he slid it back. And you could see Nyes get tight to the goalie and then back out and get open. That's hard to do. It's hard to you can't, it's hard to teach guys that. And he 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 had a long enough reach where that pass 
could get to him and he could get a far side. I mean, he, he has got goal scoring instincts. I, I'd be shocked if he's not gone after this year. I know. And it, it's so funny. I hope he like, stays. I hope yeah. He stays. I hope he does too. But I, at the same time, it's like, I understand why everybody wants him. I mean, he is so, the first time I got to see him live this year, just no one could take the puck off of him. He's on the wall and it's just, it is his puck and and good luck trying to stop him. It'll be a different story in the NHL, but he's going to win more, his fair share of battles there uh, when things get, get to it. But um, do you want to get to our, our last team in the group and Minnesota state to me, they have been one of the best teams all year. They've been one of the most consistent teams. I had a chance to see him at the icebreaker, um, you know, going head to head with Michigan there um, going head to head with, with really good teams. And, you know, they ended up losing to Michigan in that one. Michigan won the, uh, won the icebreaker. Um, but you could see then that this was going to be a team that it was just going to be so difficult to score against. They have the great goaltender in Dryden McKay, but more importantly, they have a team that will allow, you know, 20 or fewer shots in every single game. Um, McKay ended up having to make 23 saves in the win against Notre Dame that punched their ticket to Boston. But I mean, if you want to talk about playoff hockey, if you want to talk about heavy hockey, Minnesota state is about as, 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 as disciplined and as heavy and as experienced as they, as they come, they're not the, they weren't the oldest team in the tournament this year by age, but they are an older team for sure. They've all been together forever. Uh, They didn't have any guys really disappear other than Nathan Smith. Uh, they are uh, a team that is consistent, Chris. And uh, I would say that game against Notre Dame was about as good of a mirror image as you're going to play in a hockey game. I mean, it, both these guys play a tough defensive style game. Not a lot to desire for offensively in that game, to be honest. I mean, a, a, as a viewer, I was waiting, just waiting for an odd man rush to happen or a breakdown, and, and we didn't get anything. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it was just, just the way they play. It's how they operate. And, uh, you know, I, the only thing I'll say that I always think about with these teams, and I, so I thought a lot about this with Quinnipiac because, you know, Peretz had this insane year uh, where he didn't let up any goals at all. And he, obviously he's in the conversation with McKay and, and, and Levi for the Mike Richter award. And what happens when you get down by a goal or two or three? And I think Minnesota can do that to them. So how are they going to respond? Are they going to be able to shut them down where these guys aren't able to score goals? And if they can, can they battle back and score more? That's the question I have. Now, if Minnesota doesn't score goals on them, which is very possible, I think they got a great shot of winning this game. But if they get down by one or two or take some penalties early, Minnesota gets on the power play, you know, how, how has that changed the dynamic of the game? Um, they certainly proved worthy against Notre Dame, who I think is a terrific team. Uh, but but it, it, that, that's my question on them. I know people think I'm crazy. They haven't lost since Christmas or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. But that, that's that, – that's, uh, I always have that question with defensive teams. And maybe it's because I'm offensively biased. Like I, I like to watch offense. I hated the Devils in the 90s. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you know that, 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 that's, that, that's how, how it kind of shakes out from where I sit. Uh, you're right. Cause I mean, you know, this is a team that, that has, you know, they, they, they score a ton, but most their high scoring games have been in conference in the CCHA. Um, their non-conference games typically have been those tighter games. You know, they, they played UMass real tough first weekend of the series uh, of the season, 
really low scoring series against St. Cloud, um, better against Providence. And then they had a one goal loss to Michigan in that icebreaker that we talked about. Um, and, you know, that is a, that is the key thing. I, you know, the one thing that they do have now that they didn't have, um, you know, in some, they had them last season, obviously, and that was a big part of it, but, you know, I think Nathan Smith is probably one of the most skilled players. Um, he is a, he's a brilliant two-way player, uh, recently traded from Winnipeg to Arizona. Um, and, 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 you know, the, the coyotes are managed to get him signed. Um, I think he's going to play for them in the very near future. He has really developed his game. He's a kid from Florida. He's playing Florida high school hockey six years ago. And he is here as one of the best players, a Hobie top 10 guy. Um, you know, we saw him at the Olympics. He's just, you know, he, he's the different, he's the kind of guy that Minnesota state usually doesn't have. They don't Mm -hmm. have that, that, that go-to offensive guy. So I just, any, any thoughts on, on Nathan Smith and his, his rise and his prominence in, in this lineup here. I think he's always been good. Everyone knew he had that talent. You know, skill for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Definitely had the skill. Um, You know, he's played within a system that is very demanding of positioning and he's been a huge benefactor of that. Do I think he's the high end, super high end skilled guy? No, I don't. But do I think if you put the puck in that biggest chance? Heck yes. You saw that goal he scored against Notre Dame. Boom. Um, you know, we don't we don't see him create as much as like uh, Ben Myers right. or or Nice, but when he gets an opportunity, he's going to bury it. And I think that'll bode well for him to play with the high end skill guys at the next level who can give him the puck and he can he can score. Um, but we'll, we'll see how it plays out. You know, it's interesting. I looked at I was just looking at Minnesota's record against Notre Dame this year because Notre Dame and Minnesota State to me play a very similar style game. And Minnesota was three and one against uh, Notre Dame this year. And the one game they lost was in overtime. So I, I can't wait to watch this game, but I think they were all one goal games or within, within a goal. Yeah. So it should be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, but when you look at, you know, Nathan Smith and his ability and Brendan Furt uh, and his ability, you know, these guys, they, they just know what to do. They don't make mistakes. You're not going to see a lot of two on ones against, you're not going to see a lot of two on ones for them. They just, they just don't generate a ton of odd man rushes, but they grind you out. They play hard and they look for a little chance in front or rebound. And uh, that's why they've won a bazillion games. Yeah. Um, but we'll, we'll see how it plays out against the likes of Minnesota, Denver, Michigan. These are, these four teams are so good. Anybody can win this tournament. Yeah, it, it does feel like it's, it's anybody's it's all, it's all there for the taking. It was a very, it was a very chalky, and it's NCAA tournament where most of the favorites won games. Um, there weren't very many first round matchups where the favorites lost. I think, you know, Notre Dame beating North Dakota um, was one of, was one of the few. And now we have the, you know, and, and also in that Minnesota, Minnesota state game, maybe one of the best all time coaching matchups uh, of guys from the last of uh, the last decade in college hockey, there have been few better than Mike Hastings and Bob Motzko. Um, and oh, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I cannot wait. Yeah. So it's a very, it's also a very bald coaching matchup. Whereas the other side is a red hair, <laughs> a ginger matchup on the other bench. So we got, we got Carly and uh, we got David Carl and, uh, and Mel, uh, although Mel's not as, not as, uh, not as uh, amber haired as you, as you once was. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, but it's, 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 it's kind of amazing to, to see how this is all shaken out. And so, 
you will be in the studio uh, providing the analysis. I mean, I did want to ask you before I get you out of here about that, you know, your transition from, you know, going into broadcasting, how did you get into it? And, and at what point did you start kind of rising through the ranks and get these opportunities to do the frozen four? I mean, you're one of the voices of college hockey in the United States. You're one of the guys that we're, we're most familiar with and we hear your voice every time this year. Well, it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, this is a labor of love. Anyone who knows the college hockey scene knows that. I mean, I've been doing it for 18 years. Uh, you know, I started uh, Comcast local in Detroit doing CCHA games at Ferris State and Western. And, you know, everyone used to always ask me, oh, you're a Michigan guy. You know, how can you not be biased? And you, you kind of start to learn as you go to all these programs, the people, the personalities, they're all great people. They really are. I mean, we are very fortunate in this community of hockey to have just the greatest coaches that mentor these kids. And the kids are all just phenomenal people. And uh, I, I've enjoyed it from that perspective more so than anything else, just to get to a chance to hang out with the coaches and talk to them and, and uh, you know, be, be a part of the community. So just kind of worked my way up after I did Comcast, ESPN saw me and they asked me to do some games. And, and uh, since 07, the year the uh, Michigan State won, uh, you know, I, I, I've been able to, uh, to do the, the regionals and then the, the studio work for the Frozen Four. It's been great. I, I love it. It's, it's so fun. I get to be at ESPN HQ, uh, do the Frozen Four, watch the Masters. I mean, come on, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, they they have some nice bells and whistles in those uh, in those uh, green rooms and everything else there that they got yeah. in, in the studio. And it is, I mean, and it is, and really, you know, I think this this last year was great to have um, the format where we could watch every single game and not miss anything in the tournament. So that was a new thing this year. I wasn't sure how it was going to go. I knew like for attendance wise not the best, but for TV, you couldn't have asked for a better, you know, the first two days you got games noon to nine, you know, you're just, you're just hockey all day. Um, and that was, was great. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's incredible. And, you know, you've had a chance to work with you know, so many different people in, in the broadcast booth um, over the years. And it's just like, you think about guys like Ben Holden and Clay Matvick and, and Bucci and all those guys that have, have, you know, really it's the same thing. Those are the people that really do love college hockey. So um, any, any, uh, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but is there any, any favorite memories from your broadcasting career, any of the, any games or any moments that stand out in particular to you that, that, uh, that you like to think back on this time of year? Oh man, that's a great question. You know, there's, there's so many uh, short-term great memories that you kind of lose as you, Moving along. I think yeah. the BU North Dakota game at Fargo oh. in Fargo that I did was, I mean, just one of the best hockey games I've ever seen. Uh, you know, McAvoy uh, out there, Bas Besser out there. It, it was just incredible hockey. Star studded. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the Schmaltz brothers, the glass breaks. It, there's a goal that's scored. <laughs> then it's offside. Then we go to, oh, it was wild. That was wild, and, dude. And it was packed with those amazing North Dakota fans. Uh, so that's one of my, my fondest uh, memories for sure. Uh, you know, there, there's, been, there's been so many in the tournament to watch. I think, um, you know, watching Kyle Connor play in Michigan was incredible. Mm -hmm. uh, see, no one talks about his season. because I, I know. But I know. That's, that is so annoying. Ever in college hockey. Yeah, it, it's so annoying to me 
because like, I mean, I've never been on the Hobie committee. I, I may never be on the Hobie committee, but I, you know, like the, the, that season was uh, <laughs> 71 points in, in a single season. Like, and I, I remember it because I was watching it with my mouth on the floor, every game that Connor yeah. and, and Comfer and Mott were on the ice. It was like, Oh my God, you know, and, and the Hobie to me, there, it means so many things and it also means different things to different people. But I do think it is a touchstone historical piece where if it doesn't go to the best player in the country and it, mm-hmm. with all due respect to Jimmy VC, it didn't that year. Um, oh. I, was <laughs> I was on the calls. I was like, what are these people talking about? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He came back, he came back, you know, like the senior bias and stuff. It's like, it, you know, it, it's got to go to the best player. Um, and, and not, it's not like Kyle Connor's a bad guy. He's a, he's a great kid. So, you know, and now he's, now you look at him and he, I, I don't think he's too upset about, uh, you know, not winning the Hobie now that he's uh, got 80 points in the NHL this season. But, um, but I'll tell you what, like, you know, we've, we've had some great, great individual performances. You mentioned Kale McCarr, one of the greats and, and, you know, Luke Hughes, we're watching this year having probably the best, one of the best seasons by a freshman defenseman in, you know, since Brian Leach, I, I think Adam Fox is the only one that can really, he had a 40 point freshman season at, at Harvard and helped them get to the frozen four that year. So uh, things worked out pretty well for him too. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, but uh, you know, the, the last thing I wanted to ask you is just as a, as a national champion at this level and, and, and having been part of this, I mean, you know, you, you're the, the Michigan teams that you were on are, are iconic in the history of, of college hockey. Um, so I just wonder for you, what is the, what do you think is the most standout trait from the, from that year, the years at Michigan, where you guys were able to, to win, um, that was the difference. Cause it, they were star studded teams. There were guys that played in the NHL guys that were uh, elite college hockey players as well. But what was, what is it that you mentioned, you know, 97, you guys didn't win that year, yeah. you know? So what, what was the key, what was the key factor that allowed those Michigan teams to succeed and, and really, you know, we're still waiting for one to do it again. <laughs> Man, I, you know, I hate to sound so simple, but Marty Turco. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That helps. You go, back, you go back and watch those games. I'm wearing his hat right here. This is his beer company. Oh, nice. His number of wins. <laughs> um, the, you know, he was so good. The whole, the team was phenomenal. I mean, obviously at Brennan Morrison, Jason Bottero, Warren Looney, John Madden, Bubba Berenswag, Matt Herr, Bill McCall. I mean, the team was stacked, right, with talent. But when it came down to nervous time, he was a cucumber, man. The guy was unbelievable. You go back and watch some of those games and some of the saves he made. I mean, it was insane. It turned out you understand why he's one of the best goalies in NHL history, goals against average-wise. He, he was just a phenomenal athlete. So, you know, who, who's the guy that can stand on his head? You know, is it Eric Portillo? Is it uh, Justin Close? Is it Dred? I mean, who, who is it going to be that's going to make the difference? You know, I always this this is my, my kind of my big argument in the big games. Do the defensive systems hold up in high high uh, nervy times, uh, or does the offensive system hold up in high high nervy times? Um, you know, Duluth, Scott St. Owens teams. They were dominant for a lot of years, and defensively, they were incredible. Uh, but 
they could also put the puck in the net good when they had a chance you know? yes they could so that's kind of what I, the michigan teams as everyone knows it's not a secret they believe in entertainment they want to come at you as fast as they can they let the kids play there's no defensive system it's as soon as we get the puck in our zone, all five guys are going Go. to guess. <laughs> yeah. And it's been that way forever. We're not, they're not a system where they're going to play passive. Okay. Uh, even on, even shorthanded, you saw the goal that Blankenberg uh, made the pass across the ice. Um, and they, and they scored the shorthanded goal in that game against uh, Quinnipiac, which ended up being a pretty big goal. Uh, they just don't slow down offensively. So does that work or does the, we know we can't keep up with them offensively. We're going to play a trap in the neutral zone. Defensively, we're going to lock down more. It's kind of an interesting dynamic. Um, but goaltending is huge. You know, we were a run and gun team, and having great leadership, guys like Morris and Botterill, uh, were, were, were really important. So that's uh, kind of my assessment of those. Yeah. I mean, that's it. You know, as simple as it may be, that is the truth. You know, <laughs> I mean, so, so you've got, you know, and, and, and it, it'll be very interesting to see. I mean, certainly. Um, we're, we're, we're excited. We're all excited for these, these coming weeks. It's, you know, we have this week to wait. We have the gap week between the, between the, the games and, you know, Sean will certainly be watching you on, uh, on the intermissions and very excited to hear, uh, your takes on things in there. Who, who are you in there with? You got, uh, who, who's going to be in the studio with you? You know, I, it has not been announced yet. Who's going to be doing the hosting. Uh, but I think Raycroft's going to be in with me. Ah, uh, Razor, yeah. So he's he's yeah he's he's uh yeah he's he's been uh, he's he's there to defend the goalies. So uh, that's that's yeah, it's good. So yeah, yeah. But that's been that's been great. And I know we're going to have you know uh, obviously Bucci and and Barry and and Colby Cohen on uh, uh, out in Boston. So um, yeah. So we'll we'll have a we'll have some great shows. I hope you guys have a great show. Uh, you, I won't show up at the intermission. I promise everybody it's not no, going to happen this time. Chris. <laughs> yeah. I'll be, I'll be in Boston. If you guys need me, call me, you guys, uh, they, 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 they might have my number still. Uh, but Sean, it, you know, it's a pleasure. I always enjoy talking hockey with you. Um, I certainly enjoy watching you on TV and um, you know, I just appreciate the time that you gave for the podcast today and, and the insight that you were able to provide. So, so thanks a lot for coming on. Hey, you bet, buddy. Keep up the great work. And I will tell you that this is the first year in a long time that the number one seeds got through. And Minnesota, by the way, is kind of a number one seed in my mind, to be honest with you. Yeah. It's going to be a phenomenally skilled Frozen Four for the college hockey world. Uh, tune in because you may never see this much talent on the ice ever again. Uh, you know? That is a that is a fact. That is a fact. And what a pitch. And uh, we will certainly be watching. So thanks so much, Sean. We appreciate it. Hey, you bet. Take care. All right. Once again, my thanks to Sean Richland. I hope you enjoyed that. And just a, a couple of things to ramp up the podcast. We're going to start with a stay with college hockey a little bit. There were a few things that came out after that. Also, just wanted to correct myself earlier in that podcast. I talked about Brock Faber playing 41 minutes. It was actually 10 more minutes than he played. He played almost 32 minutes in the game, was able to get the official data from Instat. Um, and so that was uh, very helpful. So still impressive. Not quite 42 minutes in 68 minutes, uh, 68 minute game, but still, uh, Brock Faber had an, an incredible performance in that game against UMass. Uh, but to get to the breaking news of the week, uh, as I record this, Boston University is now looking for its new head coach. Uh, Albie O'Connell has been relieved of his duties. Um, they essentially agreed to part ways with him, and um, four years into the job, he replaced David Quinn. 
Things haven't quite been going that well for BU. They didn't make the tournament this year. They did last year in a very odd COVID-shortened season where they only played 16 games. Um, did manage to win the bean pot this year, so it wasn't all uh, all for naught this season. But um, certainly the standard at Boston University a bit higher than they've been able to achieve. And, you know, O'Connell has been one of the great recruiters in college hockey for the last decade plus. Um, and, you know, it might be one of those situations where, you know, really great assistant coach, maybe not quite uh, the right fit for a head coach. But now you've got the most coveted, one of the most coveted jobs in college hockey open. Um, and you think Jack Parker had the job for 40 years. David Quinn comes in, has it for five, Albie for four. Um, and now they have a chance to bring somebody else in. Now, they may not be going far. A lot of the the rumors out there suggest that Jay Pandolfo, who was the associate head coach this year, is is the likely candidate to get the job. David Quinn is out there uh, as a free agent again, but I, I think that he is geared towards staying in the NHL. Um, so Jay Pandolfo, former Boston Bruin, a Bruins coach and, and, a, and a BU guy himself, very well could be in there. But I mean, Boston University has kind of been um, you know, one of the cradles of coaches and executives in the National Hockey League. You think John Hines, Mike Sullivan, uh, currently in the NHL, uh, former BU guys. You had Quinn at one point as well. A lot of guys in front offices uh, around the league as well, including Chris Drury, of course, the GM for um, for the New York Rangers, and he's built some, uh, you know, brought in some other BU guys. Mike Greer is there, um, you know, so certainly a lot of guys throughout the game that that are tied to BU, and and certainly I think there's going to be a lot of interest in in what happens with this job. But odds are it's going to go to a Boston University alum, and and it seems like it'll probably go to Jay Pandolfo, but that's not confirmed yet. We'll have to wait and see what BU does, but certainly um, one of the most storied programs in the history of college hockey now in need of a new head coach. Um, we do have more information about signings. And so I talked about Ronnie Adderd, and I wanted to just mention a few of the guys that, that are that are signed. You know, we have a lot of Senators fans that listen to this podcast. I always get a lot of Jake Sanderson questions. Um, Jake Sanderson has signed with the Senators. He's currently uh, injured and won't be able to play right away. They're hoping that maybe about a month away from playing and they'll try to get him into games this year. Um, just a tough luck season for Jake Sanderson with uh, injuries at the Olympics, uh, getting COVID right before going to the Olympics and having to clear protocols and then getting there and getting hurt in the, his one and only game there. Um, got hurt in the last game for um, uh, killing a penalty at the at late in the game, you know, suffered a hand injury. Um, and so it's been a tough luck season. And I, I've said this before many times on this podcast. I'll say it again. To me, Jake Sanderson is one of the best players uh, in college hockey. I think that he, you know, had he been healthy, had he not missed so much time, we'd be talking about a Hobie Baker candidate. I think he was that he meant that much to New North Dakota. Um, and for him to, you know, have the season that he did with a lot of the tough luck where I think he missed somewhere around 12 games. Um, and that includes having the World Juniors canceled on him and all the other different things. Um, but but he's signed now. He's got a chance to start his NHL career. Obviously, it's a it's a it's a it's a strange time for the Ottawa Senators with the passing of Eugene Melnick. Um, you know, it just you know, tragic in, in for that organization and and everything else. But, you know, I would say that. Um, you know, the future for the on ice product is very bright, especially with a cornerstone piece like Jake Sanderson. And I believe he could be an instant impact player on that lineup and, and will help make, uh, make them better next season. Also, uh, you know, some, some of the other ones, and, and again, I, I covered a lot of this. I don't want to go too, 
too far into it just because I did cover this on Hockey Sense, and you can read the newsletter if you're a subscriber. Um, it's on there. It's the, the title is Recapping the NCAA Regionals, Top Performers at the CHL Top Prospects Game, and notes on recent NHL signees. Um, but, you know, there there have been some other ones in, that, that have signed in terms of drafted players, um, and I will get to a couple of the free agents as well. Uh, but Nick Abrazizi uh, from Harvard University signing with the Toronto Maple Leafs, getting going straight to the NHL. You know, maybe we'll see what he can do in his opportunity with Toronto. Um, uh, Josh Lopina from UMass signed his deal. Um, that was a little bit of a surprise. Sophomore player, um, you know, drafted in a in his I think his third year of eligibility is I think he got passed over twice and then um, ends up getting drafted last season and. You know, he's getting an opportunity. He won't play with the team right away. He's going to start in San Diego. Um, but then Matt Kessel uh, from the St. Louis Blues, he also will start in the AHL, uh, but he also of UMass. So, um, you know, the two guys that were a big part of their national championship team last year now have NHL contracts. Getting back to the free agents I mentioned earlier, Brandon Bussey, Ty Glover. Um, but one of the, the other ones that I think that, you know, is really impressive to me um, and had such a phenomenal finish to the season was Ryan Fanti. He's a six foot three goaltender, very technically sound, good athleticism, good competitiveness, you know, does a lot of things well. Um, I didn't necessarily think he was coming out this year. I didn't think he played well enough throughout the season, but he had an incredible finish to the year, you know, shutouts in three straight games in that postseason um, where he was facing shots and had to be sharp and he, he was very good. Um, so he's he's a top guy out of there. Clay Stevenson from Dartmouth, first-year goaltender, missed all of last season because of the Ivy League being shut down, um, the Ivy League schools being shut down on hockey, and he signed with the Washington Capitals. He was on my top 10. Uh, he wasn't one of the top 10. He was one of the, the honorable mentions, more because uh, we weren't sure exactly which goaltenders were going to be signing this year, but there was a run on goalies and he was one of them. Uh, Brian Hallinan, a Hobie Baker top 10 from Michigan Tech. He signs with the New Jersey Devils. Colin Sawyer, defenseman from Michigan Tech, signed with the Pittsburgh Penguins. And as we mentioned, Ty Glover. And then last week, uh, as I was recording the podcast, I was starting to learn of Jackson Stauber signing with the Chicago Blackhawks. And uh, the, the the junior goaltender with, uh, with plenty of eligibility left decides to go to Chicago, gets signs a free agent deal there, and will start with the Rockford Ice Hogs. So a lot of movement on the college free agent front. And now if you're patiently an NHL draft fan and you were waiting, I apologize for keeping you waiting, but we are going to talk a little bit about the CHL Top Prospects game. And one thing about Top Prospects games, which I'm sure if you cover the or you follow the draft, you know it's it's not the ideal circumstance to, to view prospects, but it is a helpful tool uh, as just kind of a clearinghouse, just to see everybody on the ice together, see how they look against each other. You don't move that it doesn't move the needle in terms of this guy goes here, this guy goes there, but it does show you a little bit about what these players are. So the CHL top prospects game was at the Memorial Auditorium in Kitchener, which is one of my favorite buildings to watch a hockey game in. It's just got an old school feel to it. Um, and you know, it just feels like Canadian hockey in there. And it was a great game. Um, you know, I, I think team red, the Shane Wright team, oddly enough, really struggled offensively in that game. Um, I thought that they dealt with, uh, with team white who had, you know, they kind of loaded up the defense on team white a little bit, um, where you had Denton Matejchuk and, 
uh, a host of others, Tristan Luno, um, and yeah, Owen Pickering was on that team too. So they had really good D. Um, and Noah Warren, who I thought had a phenomenal game as well, um, and is a guy that I think will be a, an early day two pick from the Got No Olympics. But that game, you know, it's just it, it's just so great to to be able to see those CHL players, see how they're progressing. Because I think you know we were starting to worry about you know the OHL, a lot of guys not really popping this year. Is it because they missed so much time last season? The guys that didn't find other teams to play at. You know, is that part of the reason that they're they're struggling right now? And and it very well could have been. Um, but you you look at the you look at the players from the WHL. I think it's going to be a big year for the Dub. Uh, some really good Q players as well. Um, and it is a down year for the OHL. It's not you know Shane Wright is there, Pavel Mintukov is there, um, but there's. You know that there's not a lot of depth there. There's a lot of guys that I think you'll probably see fall into the first, late first, early second. You know, tumble down the boards a little bit where you're going to see a lot of WHL players up there. So that was one thing that I certainly was aware of as I was watching the game, and and it was obvious. You know, and just because of the way that the rosters were structured as well, you're like, wow, you know, not a great year for the OHL, but. You know, looking at the top performers from that game, I mean, the guy that I think really did himself favors and 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 has been doing himself favors throughout most most of the season is Jagger Furkus, who plays for the Moose Jaw Warriors. He had two points in the game, really great shot, shifty puck skills. He's a guy that's on the rise. Um, if you read DailyFaceoff.com and my my draft trends, I have him as a trending up. Furkus looking more and more like a first rounder, uh, a surefire first rounder as opposed to a fringe first rounder. Um, and you know, he's a guy that popped on my radar late. I wasn't as familiar with him. Um, but certainly leading up to this game, there was a lot more, you know, he had 30 plus goals already in the WHL. Um, and, and has really, you know, shown that not, he's not a big guy. He's just under five foot 10. He has great handles though. And I, I think that that's going to be a guy that, that, you know, we look at and say, wow, you know, he, he's a guy that really helped himself in the latter half of the season. Another player that you know I just mentioned him a, a second ago, Denton Matechuk, who I think is a you know he's 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 below average size for a defenseman, but is he ever dynamic? He moves pucks extremely well. He has great hockey sense. I think his his ability to escape the zone, his ability to get pucks up ice, is high end and one of the better you know better traits in this draft class. To me, I you know I think he's one of the best defensemen available this year. Um, in a year where there are a lot of defensemen that are are worthy of first round selection, I mean, we're talking we could see seven, eight, nine, ten, maybe even defensemen, uh, depending on how the bottom half of the first round shakes out. And you know, we're not going to see as many in the top ten, but after that, there's going to be a big run on defensemen, I think, in the first round. And Dent Matejchuk, I believe, will be a part of that. Um, you know, he skates very well. He just thinks the game at a high level, and that was on display at the CHL Top Prospects game. Another guy who had an interesting game, but you could also see kind of some of the deficiencies um, was Connor Geeky. And I know there are people out there that think Connor Geeky is a top five pit prospect in this class. I know people that think that he's a bottom half of the first round prospect in this class. It all depends. I think he's somewhere in between, personally. I do think it's more likely than not he goes in the top 10. Um, and he... he is interesting because you see in this game, you see that his foot speed is an issue. It is not something that is 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 a 
is comparable to the top players in this draft class. It is something that could potentially hold him back, but he's a six foot three, six foot four forward with excellent vision, good hockey sense. The puck was around him so much. So I think his anticipation skills, his processing speed of the game, those are all there at a level where I think that the feet don't bother me as much. He's got some toughness. He's got some grit to him. So he's got all those things that you look for in a big forward. So that's that's a guy that I think will absolutely you know, go early and will be a very important player for this team. Or for this draft, rather. Not this team. I mean, whoever drafts him will say, yeah, he's an important player. Um, over on the other side on team red, you know, Shane Wright did score a goal. Um, you know, he had an up and down game. There were times where he kind of disappeared, but again, this is, this game is not going to impact my, my, my feelings on Shane Wright one way or the other, because he has had such a strong performance in the second half of the season. You know, I've, I've talked about it a lot. I had Logan Cooley as my number one prospect at the midterm. Doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to stay that way. Uh, I think Shane Wright has made a case for himself. And then the other thing is, is that while Shane Wright has made a case for himself, not many other players have, you know, taken the reins. I think you could say, you know, well, what about your Slavkovsky, you know, and, and, and that's, that's very fair him and Simon Nemitz and, and unfortunately David Juracek's been injured, but I mean, you know, there are a lot of guys that are in the mix. Um, one player that I, I was super excited to see because I had watched him on video and I really loved his video um, is, is Kevin Korchinski from the Seattle Thunderbirds and played on team red. They were kind of caved in a little bit in the possession game. Um, but I thought that Korchinski himself had a very strong game, just a smooth operator period. You know, he's lanky. He's got some, some height to him. Um, he, he has really good hands. His recovery speed was evident in that game where he would try to get, you know, make plays, but was able to recover and get back. And I think that's one of the things with offensive defensemen. I love seeing guys that have the effort and energy to get back and, and, and after you know, whatever they tried didn't work out. So that's a guy that I'd be really fascinated by. Um, we saw some really good pops from Matthew Savoy, who I think will still be a top 10 pick. He's one of the most dynamic players in this draft, the speed, the, the quick hands, the, the finish. I think that the thing that, that there is still some concern about is, you know, the size, the, you know, he's kind of a, on the lighter side. He doesn't get pushed around and he, and he engages physically, but I do think that there are some teams that, that are just wondering, you know, is he going to be able to bring it night in, night out? Is he going to hold up night in, night out? Um, and so he's one where I feel like his draft stock has trended slightly down, not so much that I would, you know, say it, uh, you know, or write that, oh, he's down, he's, he's falling, he's dropping. You know, I think that he's still very much in the, in the, that five to 10 range. Um, I think it's less likely he's in the top five, but if the right team is there, maybe they go for it. But for him, there were only those little tiny flashes of that brilliance that he has, um, and I certainly am one of those people that would love to see more of that. Um, but yeah, but I mean, those were those were kind of the standouts. And then really, the guys that were down the lineup, I mentioned uh, I mentioned just a little bit ago. Noah Warren, big defenseman, strong, put a big hit on Shane Wright in the game. Um, you know, he he put a, a few big hits. Period. Um, you know, guys like that. They, if when they have memorable moments in a top prospects game, it makes their name click when they're being talked about in those meetings. Um, and it does also say, oh yeah, like I remember that that play. You know, he made some memorable plays, even though they weren't, you know, super like on the score sheet or, or things like that. So, so that. But that's just a small sampling of some of what you can get at Hockey Sense on Substack because there is a lot more there. You know, Luca Del. Del Balbaluz, uh, Danny Jilkin, 
you know, Owen Pickering, Pavel Mentukov, Owen Beck, you know, so, so many different players are, are covered there. It'll give you a little bit of a taste of how they performed and, and what kind of is happening with their draft right now. I also promised that I would talk a little bit about the 2022 and 2023 World Juniors. As of right now, we know for sure that the entire 2022 tournament will be held in Edmonton. It will not also be co-hosted by Red Deer. We know that it'll be in August. We know that Latvia is coming in to replace Russia in that tournament. But what we don't know are what are the health protocols going to be? How are the players going to be handled? There is still a lot of that up in the air. It sounds like there could be a kind of a modified bubble situation, a testing and masking situation. We're going to wait and see. The IIHF's current COVID protocols, as far as I can tell um, from sources that I've talked to, will only remain in place through the under-18 men's world championship, which will be in uh, April in Germany. And so there will be pretty strict protocol there for the players and for the tournament, um, you know, separate media and all those different things that, that are currently, that's what they're trying to do. So we'll have to wait and see exactly what happens there. Um, but after that, it sounds like things could be relaxed a little bit, you know, as, as COVID kind of changes, things are going to be different. One piece of, of news, um, you know, is that USA is going to have their entire staff back that was there in the winter. Nate Lehman is going to be the head coach. He's got, you know, Ted Donato, Chris Mayotte, Steve Miller, Teresa Feaster. They're all back, um, on the, uh, on the team. Um, and so they'll be there. But uh, 2023, USA Hockey has to get ready essentially for two World Juniors simultaneously because they have the August World Juniors where they're going to try and have as many players from the previous team um, that were playing in the Winters World Juniors on their current team, but they're probably not going to have all of them. You know, By that point, Maddie Beniers will have signed. You've already got Jake Sanderson signed. Um, you know, What's going to happen with Luke Hughes? What's going to happen with a, a number of other players if they're under contract? Will their teams release them? Because once you're under contract, that team gets a say. Um, if you're not under contract, they don't get much of a say. Um, so what are the odds that you're going to be without Jake Sanderson? Probably pretty high. Same with Matty Beneers. So you, you, there will be some replacements. But the team also has to get ready for the 2023 World Juniors, which are, don't have a host site yet. Um, I know that there is a bidding process underway right now. Um, we we have heard uh, through reporting that Ottawa is trying to launch a co-hosting bid, potentially with Quebec City, uh, which would be intriguing. I've also heard Halifax in the mix, but there's also the possibility that the tournament is hosted in the United States. And if it is, that'll be very interesting. And I think that they would probably look to a unique setting for that. It's going to have to come together quickly. It's a big undertaking there's a lot of moving parts, but that's something that that will be at, at front of mind. So we will be talking a lot more about how USA Hockey is going to navigate this situation and what they can do to basically form two teams at the same time because they're going to have an evaluation camp. We don't know exactly if it's going to be the same groups together. It, it's it's there's still a lot of logistical hurdles to overcome. Um, and the same goes for Canada. The same goes for all the countries. They all are dealing with the same set of issues. It's not ideal. Russia's not in it anymore. Belarus isn't in it anymore. The IIHF is is kind of trying to figure out what to do. They've already had this canceled World Juniors. Nothing has been easy. 
Nothing has been easy over the last couple of years, but at least they're trying, and hopefully we'll have you know two quality tournaments in North America over essentially a period of less than six months. So two World Juniors in less than six months. I mean, I guess I, I shouldn't complain because it's amazing, but boy, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a grind this year. This is the season that never ends. So uh, you know, if we're having the 2022 World Juniors in August. It really is the season that never ends because we'll be starting other stuff right away. Ah, the never-ending hockey season. You got what you wanted, fans. I could use a little bit of a break, though. I'll tell you that much. But as long as I got my Talking Hockey Sense listeners tuning in each week, I will try to bring the energy for you because I am having a lot of fun doing this podcast. I hope you're having fun listening to it. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review the podcast. Subscribe to talking or to Hockey Sense with Chris Peters on Substack, hockeysense.substack.com. All of your support is greatly appreciated. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. We'll be back next week with uh, a little more Frozen Four talk and certainly a lot more on prospects. It is going to be one of the most loaded, star-studded Frozen Fours that you could ask for, and we'll have it all right here on Talking Hockey Sense. Thanks again to Sean Richland. Thanks again to you for joining me on this week's episode. That's going to do it. My name is Chris Peters. This is Talking Hockey Sense. We'll catch you next time.